Uh, Please turn to Titus chapter 3. Scripture reading tonight will be verses 9 through 15. So Titus uh, chapter 3. And uh, we'll pick it up at verse 9 and through the end of the chapter. So listen carefully to God's holy word. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division... After warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to, to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. And amen. So we're continuing our look at the different pastoral epistles, not in order, not in the canonical order, but in the chronological order. So we spent some time in 1 Timothy, and then, so to back up a minute, so Paul, after his first Roman imprisonment, was let go and went probably back to Macedonia or that region of the, um, of the world, and from there he writes these pastoral letters to Timothy and then to Titus uh, to encourage them and help them, guide them in their pastoral ministries. And then he will be rearrested, probably between these letters, possibly between these letters and his being rearrested. Uh, he hopefully he made that trip to Spain that he wanted to make. Uh, but then he is arrested again, and Second Timothy comes in the context of his uh, execution that is on the horizon for him. So he's been writing to Titus to encourage him. And just to focus on chapter three for a minute, we're nearing, we're near the end of the chapter three, but he begins with general exhortations on how we are to conduct ourselves in the world, in society, being uh, conscientious citizens and not, uh, and not being quarrelsome, but being gentle and having courtesy. That's how we are to conduct ourselves in, in, in the world. Um, just to go back up, remember in the first chapter, he's encouraging uh, Titus how to conduct, how conduct should be done in the church. Uh, the election of elders and the actions within the church, how they are to be conduct themselves. In chapter two, it's more not exactly in the home, but kind of in the home, how do, how we conduct ourselves. But he's talking about. How, how do you direct older men, older women, uh, younger men, and how they ought to conduct themselves? So now he's kind of bringing all of those things to a conclusion. 
the beginning of chapter three, how we conduct ourselves just in society in general. And then in the verses three to eight is that wonderful section which includes the fourth of the faithful sayings. We have the statement of the saying or the statement that there is a saying here in verse eight. The saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things. Uh, The context of that faithful saying is our own depravity in verse four, that we are, we were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. What a terrible description of us by nature, but that's who we are. And we can't deny it. We try to deny it, but we can't deny it. That's who we are by nature. And the faithful saying is all about the grace. So this, this fourth faithful saying is all about the grace and how it's come, it comes to us. It's either in all of five and six or part of five and six. God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Uh, This faithful saying is kind of a proverbial statement in the early church. It summarizes the work of grace and the work of the gospel. We're not saved by anything that we have done, but we're saved by the mercy of God and the sending of the Holy Spirit to regenerate us and to turn our hearts and minds toward him. The benefit of that work is in verse seven, so that we're justified by his grace and we're heirs of the hope of eternal life. Great treasures that God has given to us. And so at the end of this second section of chapter three, he urges Titus to that, to insist on these things that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for the people. Uh, So that's helpful to remember in just a moment. So he wants Timothy to underscore these things, to preach these things, to declare these things and insist that the people of God embrace these uh, so that they would be able to devote themselves to good works. And... um, would pay attention to these things that are excellent and profitable. Well, then Paul brings his letter to a close with some typical uh, reminders and and directions that he gives. But before he gets to that, uh, he he the first thing that he addresses with uh, Titus in this last section is those things he had just said were profitable. Now, he says, I want you to avoid profitless controversy. Uh, In verse 9 again, uh, he says, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. So he had just been talking about that which was profitable and beneficial. Now he's warning him again, to stay away from those things that are unprofitable and worthless. And we've seen this in in Paul's letter to 1 Timothy. We see it here again. He's warning about these false teachers. 
He's warning about these uh, fruitless controversies and he's telling him to avoid them. Now, these foolish controversies, he's not, he's not telling him that he can't engage in theological debate or discussion. Uh, he's not telling him that, that he can't get into uh, questions about the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the character of God and his divine mercy and grace. He's not saying he can't engage people with those kinds of discussions. Uh, Paul did that. Christ did that. But what he's, what he's warning him about are, it says foolish controversies. It probably is the word also speculations. It's when people are just kind of talking off the top of their head and they're just kind of wandering about this, that, and the other thing. And they're speculating. And Paul doesn't want Titus to waste his time on that. Uh, he he wants him to answer these people, these false teachers, uh, not with trying to analyze all these foolish speculations, but to give them the word of God, to give them what is profitable uh, and to confront them with God's holy word and his truth. And so there are four categories of error, the foolish controversies or speculations genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, those last three things particularly probably indicate that this was a debate with Jewish unbelievers. Uh, they would have quarreled about the law. Uh, they would have quarreled about, quarreled about genealogies. Uh, certainly they would have promoted dissensions. And he's telling Titus, you need to avoid these things. Don't go down their rabbit trails. Uh, they're unprofitable and they're worthless. Uh, the positive thing he needs to do is stay true to God's word and to proclaim God's truth. That's the, pow- that's the power that people need. Uh, We won't convince them by engaging their speculation. But they may be convinced and the Holy Spirit may convince them through the word of God. Uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon meant to use this in Ryan's ordination the other night and forgot about it. But Charles Spurgeon would say of the word, the word of God, we don't need to defend the word of God. Uh, The word of God is like a lion. All you need to do is let it loose. And that's what we need to do with God's word. We just need to let it loose. We need to make it evident, declare it carefully, and pray that God will use it to convert hearts. Uh, So insist on what is profitable, Titus. Avoid these things which are unprofitable and worthless. And then he tells him what to do with people that uh, folks that are in the church who are going down this trail, uh, what do you do with them? In verse 10, uh, so the second, the first thing is avoid profitless controversy. The second thing is you need to confront and discipline those who are walking that path. In uh, verse 10, as for the person who stirs up division, 
after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Uh, here he's giving the advice, the counsel of the, of the discipline that the church needs to, um, to carry out. Uh, one of the marks of the church is the faithful exercise of discipline. And we don't want to think of discipline only in the sense of punitive punishment. Uh, a parent doesn't simply discipline their child punitively. Discipline includes the instruction, the counsel, the encouragement, the love, uh, the direction. Uh, that's all part of the discipline of, of directing their path in a, in a proper way. Uh, so here he's dealing with this person uh, that they would have already had the discipline of the word, but now you're dealing with the discipline because they're uh, creating division. The, the word for the person who stirs up division is a word from which we probably get the word heretic, though at this time it wouldn't have had that meaning yet. It probably takes on that meaning in time. It refers to somebody who's a, a, a member of a party, a sect, a group, a school of thought. It's used in Acts for the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They are aligned with a certain group of way of thinking. But the problem is they uh, stir up division. Uh, instead of promoting the unity of the church, they're promoting the division of the church. And so what Paul says you need to do is you need to warn them once and then warn them twice and then have nothing to do with them. Now, if you remember Jesus' instruction, he added a third layer. You go to them individually. You go to them with someone with you. You bring them to the elders and you bring them then finally to the church and put them out. Uh, I think we probably can assume Paul's not creating a whole different set of discipline that probably the personal interaction had already taken place, but this person is publicly dividing the church. And so you go to him with a warning that he's moving in a direction that he ought not to have. And if he won't listen to you, then you go to him again. Because the goal of discipline both of a parent and of a church, is not to kick the person out. That's not the goal. Uh, that's the last thing you want to have happen. The goal of discipline is to rescue the person. It's not to reject and get rid of the person. You want to rescue them. That's the purpose of discipline. It's rescue. And you're trying to rescue this person. But in this case, they're hard-hearted. They won't listen. And so you're to have nothing to do with them, whether that's their formal excommunication uh, or whether in their culture, shunning uh, would have been practiced and would have been powerful. I mean, if we say, well, don't have anything to do with someone. Well, they just go to another church and have a whole other group of people. And that, that it doesn't really have the impact when you're all living in the same community. And, um, but the, the purpose of that, again, is not to be mean-spirited or mean-hearted. It's to try to 
confront them and rescue them from the error of their ways. So avoid this fruit, profitless teaching. Uh, Discipline those who are walking in the wrong path and you want to try to bring them back to the right path. And then he gets into his general instructions, which are typical uh, of Paul at the end of many of his letters. Sometimes he takes up his, the pen himself. He's been using a secretary to write the letter and he'll take up the pen himself in some cases and write the conclusion. Uh, and so he's um, sort of the travel director here at this point uh, in verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, uh, do your best then to come to me at Nicopolis for I've decided to spend the winter there. So Titus can't leave the field without somebody taking up the responsibility. And so Paul is going to send these two men, or one of them at least, to to Crete to take over the work to allow Titus to freedom that he could leave and go be with Paul. We don't know who Artemis is. Uh, He's not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. Tychicus is someone who we do know a fair amount about. Uh, And let me take you to a couple places. Turn to Acts 20, verse 4. Artemis was probably part of the group of men that followed along with Paul. And we have all these names in here, so we'll go through them. Uh, in verse 4, Sopater the Berean, here's a list of the people that with Paul. Son, um, Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. So they're from Asia. Uh, which probably meant Asia Minor in the region of Turkey. Uh, So Tychicus was from there, and he became a a good companion of Paul. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21. Paul says, so that you also may know how I am, how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. What a wonderful description. A beloved brother and a faithful minister. Would that we all that serve the Lord in that role could have that testimony uh, told of us. <clears throat> He was probably the one who took the letter of Colossae to, their, to that church. And uh, so coming back to Titus, Paul is saying, well, I'm going to send him Artemis or Tychicus to you. And when they get there, they'll take over the work so that you're free to come uh, to be with me at Nicopolis, which is on the western side. Well, you, west is this way, but western side of, of Greece. And that's where uh, Paul is going to spend the winter. And uh, he wants uh, Tychicus to come, or uh, Titus to come and spend some time with him there. 
And then he goes on to talk about a few others. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. So these are two other men that uh, perhaps had come by to help Titus. Uh, to Apollos is probably the, the um, person who knew the scriptures well. Uh, turn in um, Acts to <clears throat> Acts 18. Acts 18, verse 24. Acts 18, verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit... He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And uh, so we have Apollos, who has been a servant of the Lord and and. Um, uh, powerful in, in speaking to the people of God. He understood the scriptures and Priscilla and Aquila tra- taught him more completely uh, the gospel message. So Paul has a concern for these two men that they be taken care of. Uh, the lawyer, perhaps civil law, maybe uh, um, the law of, of scripture. But at any rate, these two men, uh, Titus was to provide for And then he comes into his um, final conclusion for the people in particular. So he's dealt with these men and some arrangements for them and what he wants Titus to do. But he has one final instruction of Titus uh, of his instruction for the people. And it's in verse 14. And he says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Now we saw that same basic command up there in verse eight, um, that that those who have believed may be careful to devote themselves to good works. So here he repeats this, uh, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. And the theme of Titus, in a sense you could could label this as the, um, the, the, the banner over top of it, is the relationship between doctrine and duty. Uh, we Doctrine teaches us how to be obedient, what duty we ought to carry out for the Lord. And our duty, our faithfulness in our duty, uh, adorns the doctrine. Now, it's not as though we, by duty, we gain God's favor. That's not it. But by our duty, by Devoting ourselves to good works, we are adorning the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're enhancing it. We're making it more glorious. And so there's the connection between these two things really throughout this whole letter. The teaching about God, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of grace, all of that motivates God's people in loving God with all of our hearts to then be careful to do those things which God would want us to do. And the reason that Paul gives that for, there's two reasons he gives 
for that in this particular verse, it's so that they might be a help in cases of urgent need. God wants you and I to be his servants so that we can help others. We want to use our talents, our abilities, the resources that God puts in our, within our control and to use those to help other people. Uh, that's his calling. That's why he wants us to devote ourselves to these good, we, good works so we can be a benefit to someone. And that's our heart's desire, uh, to, to care for other people, to be useful, and not to be unfruitful. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit taking root in our lives. We're demonstrating the grace of the Lord that, uh, that has been at work in our lives. And it produces fruit, the fruit of grace, the fruit of love, the fruit of perseverance, the fruit of patience. How patient we need to be with one another. How caring we need to be with one another. Um, Caring and patience are so important because we are often disagreeable people. Now, you may not want to admit that, but we can often be uh, troublesome people. And we need patience. And God has been patient with us. And we need to be patient with one another. So we're not unfruitful. The the grace of God is, is bearing fruit in our lives as we help those in need as we love and care for one another. And it adorns the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ when we conduct our lives in this way. Uh, And we carry that out. Then he concludes with greetings and with a benediction. Uh, He says, all who are with me send greetings to you. So the Christians which he was associating with, they are probably in Macedonia Send greetings to the the people in Crete as well as to Titus. And then Paul in in turn says to Titus, greet those who love us in the faith. Now, uh, those who love him in the faith, it could be the subjective love. Uh, That's certainly a part of it. We love one another subjectively. And uh, embrace them we, and, and act accordingly. Uh, but we, as we've seen often in, in these pastoral epistles and even in scripture, uh, the phrase in the faith often refers to the, 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 um, the gospel, the, uh, losing my words, but anyway, the, the, like our confession, that is, that speaks to us of the truth of the word of God, that's the faith once for all delivered to the saints that Jude speaks about. And so when Paul's saying, these people love me in the faith, he's saying that we are together in the bonds of Christ and the doctrines of Christ and the truth of God's word. And that love is within the framework of that Uh, great uh, testimony of truth that we have and that we share. That's our bond. Uh, That's that's what binds us. That's what unites us together. There are many things that we differ on, uh, differences and 
personality and activities and interests, but we're unified in the truth and in the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And so he says, greet those who love us in the faith. They're one with us in the gospel. They're one with us in the testimony of truth. And then he gives this brief benediction, grace be with you all. The grace that issues from the Father and the Son that made its appearance in the person and work of Jesus Christ that was applied to us by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. That grace uh, be with you all. He desires the people of God to experience the benediction and the blessing of God. And every minister that gets up to pronounce a benediction, I think, maybe I shouldn't say every minister, every OPC minister that gets up and, and pronounces the benediction does so with a, um, a passionate desire that the people of God experience that blessing. There's no greater joy um, or it's one of the great joys of ministry to be able to bless God's people. What a tremendous privilege and what a great delight it is to do that. Uh, it's, uh, uh, I, I can't really communicate to you how wonderful it is to stand in front of you every Lord's Day and bring God's blessing to you. It's one of the most uh, precious privileges that I have as a minister and that, he, that we have as ministers to do that. And Paul is bringing that passionate desire for these people to experience the blessedness of God's grace <clears throat> with each and every one of them. And so the letter comes to a conclusion. He's been instructing the people of God as Christian leaders to defend the faith and pass on the faith and teach the truth as members of households, as, uh, as older women and older men, as young men, young women, to conduct themselves in a way that's honorable to God and demonstrates their love for the Lord. Uh, and it's in view of uh, Christ appearing that they live that way. This third chapter on reminding us of our uh, conscientious life in this world and also of the, of the grace that we, we come to experience in the Lord and that all of this truth motivates us to live in a godly way. And it's the doctrines <clears throat> that we've been taught uh, inspire us to duty and the duty that we carry out adorns the doctrine. And may those things be true uh, in our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, very much for this wonderful letter. <clears throat> Thank you for Paul's faithful instruction to his, uh, the young man that he's mentored, Titus. And by this instruction, we also can be guided in how to conduct ourselves in the church of God. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you might cause us to, to know and to experience the blessing of your grace and that we might live in such a way that will honor you and bring glory to your precious and holy name. And we ask your blessing again on us as we enter this week. 
And um, as we confront many different things, as some that are here will be traveling, keep us in your care and help us to live in a way that would bring glory to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.